Well, good morning, everyone. Um, if you will, open up your word this morning. We're going to be in a couple places, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and then in John chapter 4. But, um, you know, I feel like the Lord, I've had some really good times with the Lord the last couple of weeks, just coming to the presence of the Lord. And, you know, when you come into the presence of the Lord, I would say if you come the right way, but, but I think if you come expecting nothing, then the Lord begins to kind of do some stuff in, inside of you. It, it's just a given. And so I feel like I've tried to come and, and, and I don't just raw before the Lord and just kind of present things before the Lord and, and let him speak to those things. And that's difficult a lot of times when, when the Lord begins to kind of press on something or, or stretch us a little bit or make us a little uncomfortable but it's this posture this morning that I kind of want us to take and, and have our, our hearts positioned towards because I want to talk about something I feel like the Lord's laying on my heart in regards to all of us and really to Christians, not just us in this church, but to Christians in essence. Um, and I've titled this this morning, Full Impact, and that doesn't really give anything away in terms of, of where I'm going with this, but I'll get there in a minute. But I have a PowerPoint that I want to show us, um, a couple pictures. Um, bring up the first one, Josiah. So you have a couple houses here. So you have this nice brand new house and you have this one that's kind of run down. Which house would you prefer to live in? The run down house. There's always a smart aleck in the crowd, isn't there? I'm just going to call it for what it is. Sorry, Anson. <laughs> you know, Princess Bride, liar, liar, liar. <laughs> right? I think we all would want to live in this brand new house, right? Especially if it's free and it's got indoor plumbing, and it's got a refrigerator, and it's got heat or air conditioning or stuff like that. All right, how about the second picture? Which car would you prefer to have? Some of you are too young to remember the Yugo, but Andy's saying I want the Yugo because he knows how much money it's probably worth, right? But it's nice Lamborghini or the Yugo. Now, if it's going downhill, it has two cylinders of power. And the windshield, right. Before we get to the last one, I'm going to ask the question first. Who would you prefer to be your security guard? Bring it up, Josiah. Jesus. <laughs> would you want this guy with the 18-inch biceps? Or would you want Adeline or Irie? Or the baby doll being your, your security guard, your bodyguard? You know, the thing is, I think you know where I'm going. The obvious is there. And, and if you read the newsletter on Thursday, the, Thursday's newsletter article was a tangent that I can't necessarily get into this morning. It's a tangent of, of, of this word this morning in some ways. But, but I was talking about kind of our world loves the strong and our world loves the beautiful or the bold and the beautiful, I guess, um, the, the successful, the powerful, the rich. We're drawn to those things advertising and TV shows, um, there was, I don't remember what the TV show was, it was about a bunch of police officers, and, and I remember we were flipping through channels, and, and Carrie said, wow, all those police officers are handsome and beautiful, and, and, and no cut on, on police officers, Joe or Mike or anything like that, but <laughs> it was just like perfect figured women and, and perfect figured men, and you're thinking, really? Police officers are this way? And again, no donuts or coffee implied here at all, but it's, it's interesting how we are to admire 
and we're taught to admire the strong and the beautiful and the, and the powerful and the rich and thus. But yet, when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there's really a stark contrast to it all. And I want to read it this morning. It says, brothers and sisters, consider your calling, verses verse 26. Not many are wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one can boast in his presence. It's a really interesting thing that Paul's saying here because this doesn't make a lot of sense when we, when we look at the way the world operates. The world operates on this thing that if you're rich or you're strong or you're powerful or you have great influence, then you can make great impact in the world. You can make great impact in the kingdom of God. And Paul's not saying that. Paul's saying, hey, look, He's reminding the Corinthians because at one point they were in this place. And some of them still were in this place of being insignificant or despised or, or having no influence. He's reminding them in one part, remember where you've come from. Remember that you were weak and you were foolish and you were insignificant. And God has transformed you and brought you to a place where you have more influence. And God has prospered you as well. And I'm not getting into a prosperity message, but God has prospered you financially probably and, and family-wise in so many different ways. Don't forget where you've come from. But he's reminding the Corinthians too that no matter what they're facing in, in the sense of, of the people they're around and, and, and maybe they're, they're being looked down on at times, maybe they feel weak, that God's going to use the weak. He's going to use the foolish. He's going to use those that are despised or insignificant to do one thing, to bring to nothing those who view themselves as something. See, a lot of times when someone's maybe rich or powerful or influential, there's a pride that seeps in and, and, and a tendency to say, I did this. It was my talent and my gift and my strength. We all struggle with this at times. I remember being in Tanzania and, and, and speaking a couple times each day and, and you know, all these things, they were carrying my Bible up to the podium for me and, and just bringing me water. I mean, they were, they were taking care of me. But I just remember you know, the applause and, and, and just you know, all that stuff. And I was thinking, man, this is a lot of fun. I like this. And I remember thinking, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's okay to like it, right? But it was like I was starting, it was starting to fuel something inside my nature. And we have those tendencies to let stuff fuel things at times. But what God is saying, what Paul is saying through, through the, or to the Corinthians here is God uses all these things to humble people. So in the end, it's that none of us can boast that we have to point to God as being the one. The same as what Paul says to the Ephesians. Salvation comes... By grace, through faith, not of our own works, so that no one can boast. And the gist of what I believe we understand this scripture to believe is that God wants to use all people. He wants to use every single person that he's created for his glory. Whether they're weak, whether they're despised, whether they're powerful, whether they're rich. God will use all people, but he wants us to remain humble in the, in the process of it. He uses us. And when I look around this room, and, and, and this is no, no cut on anyone, but there's no world-famous people here. That's the reality, right? And we're probably fine with that in some ways, right? There's no world-famous mathematician here or a world-famous athlete. But yet, when I look around this room, 
I see such talent, God-given talent. And the giftings that God has brought into this body, it's not unique to this body because I think every local body like this has, has a number of gifts. Probably all the gifts are present. But there is a talent that's been given by God and there is a, a giftings that have been given by God for us to have a great impact, to have a full impact in this world. I've said this before, there's books that are in here. There's movies. There's church planners in here. There's apostles. There's, there's CEOs of companies. There's stay-at-home moms and stay-at-home dads. And, there's, and that's fine. That's just as great and just as dandy because God uses all people. But, you know, there's an issue I think that we have sometimes is we want to be used by God. But do we really want to put the work in? Do we really want to give God permission to do what He needs to do? You know, we all, all the little kids right now with March Madness are, are watching maybe basketball and they're saying, man, I want to play for Duke or I want to play for Carolina or I want to play and I want to make it to the NBA. But all they do to prepare is just play video games maybe. Vi play, playing video games is not going to get you there. And sometimes as believers, we don't want to be stretched or made uncomfortable. We've talked about this for a while, getting out of the boat. I don't want to be stretched. I don't want to be made uncomfortable at times. But we have to give God permission. We have to allow Him to begin to stretch us in order for us to be used fully by Him. We have to begin to allow Him to make us uncomfortable for Him to fully use us. But as I've thought about this the last couple weeks, because I've really been thinking about this in my own life in a lot of ways, is, is why am I resistant to change? Why am I resistant to be uncomfortable? Why am I resistant sometimes to being stretched by God? There's a number of things that come to mind, absolutely. But one thing that kept coming to mind is for most people, it hinges upon their past. It hinges upon not allowing the past wounds and the past hurts to be fully healed. It really hinges on not even admitting it or not even acknowledging it. And most of the time what we've done is we've built a wall around it in some form or fashion. There's been a relationship with a, with a parent or a sibling or with a, an old boss or coworker or, or whatever. And instead of allowing God full access into our hearts to begin to heal and to begin to do what He needs to do, to do inner healing, we build a wall around it. And it begins to affect the way that we interact with the world around us. We're just kind of limping through in some ways. And sometimes it's not bad to have a limp. Jacob had a limp, but there was a healing that took place, I believe, at the same time. John chapter 4, I want us to look at this this morning. I really just want to challenge us to begin to look and allow the walls that are there in our heart, the smoke screens that we throw out many times, just to allow the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow away that, that smoke screen or, or allow God to tear down those walls. But John chapter 4 is, is the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. And we're probably fairly familiar with this. I want to pick it up in verse 5. It says, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the, the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about 6 in the evening. Now, I'll come back and talk about this time frame, but you should have some footnotes on this because the Greek is interesting here. It's really noontime. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. 
How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I don't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have answered correctly. I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you have had five husbands, and the man you are now or you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, yet you Jews say that the place of worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said, Believe me, woman, and the hour is coming, or an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And I'm going to stop right there just for a second. I want to make a couple observations here. You know, this is a very loaded scripture, and I think there's a lot of application to this scripture. And we could go many different ways talking about it. But in terms of talking about some of the wounds that we have in the past, some of the marks of shame that we still carry around with us, it's obvious here in this scripture that this woman is carrying some marks of shame. It says, in, in my translation, um, it's the sixth hour in the evening, it's noon. And you can go and you can look later on with the resurrection. You can see the same Greek phrase. You can see, I think, in Luke um, earlier, Luke chapter 1 or 2 as well. The sixth hour, basically, when it came to no- afternoon, it became evening. And so it's noontime. Noontime is the mealtime in Jewish culture. It's the first real meal of the day. You know, there's a breaking of the fast, breakfast. It's donut and a coffee, something that we, we would equate that way. But the first meal is, is lunchtime, and it's done at noon. It's in the noon hour. So everyone at this point, they're at home eating. But this lady finds herself at the well. Why is she at the well at noon? She should be in her home eating. Because she's wanting to avoid those that might be at the well in the third hour of the day, or in the fourth hour of the day, or the fifth hour of the day. It's a mark of shame that she's carrying with her. We, she knows that. See, shame and, and hurt and pain that's undealt with, it affects all of our relationships. It affects our relationship with God first and foremost, but it begins to affect the relationship with those around us and how we interact with them. Sometimes we avoid people. Sometimes we have that nervous laugh with people. Sometimes we just put up more and more walls, more walls in Fort Knox so, so they can't get in, and even God can't get in. The second observation I see here, and it, it kind of goes along with the first, is her past. We get a slight glimpse, but it's a, it's a very weighty glimpse as well. She's had five husbands. Five husbands. Do you think all five have died? You know, when, I'm, when I'm reading this, I don't get that tone that, that, that one has died, and thus she remarried to another, or maybe the first one's brother, as, as was customary. Maybe two of them died. Let's go with that. That's still three times more divorce, right, than culture accepted. 
Was she unfaithful? Was her husband unfaithful? Were her husbands unfaithful? Was it a combination of we don't know? But she's so done with marriage at this point, she's not even going to get married. She's going to live with another man, which heaps even more upon it as well. The shame. Think about the shame that she's carrying. She won't even go to the well. She won't converse with people probably in town. She's, she's got her head down. It's the marks of shame that, that are upon her. And I submit to all of us this morning that we carry around similar marks of shame, wounds in our hearts. As long as sin is in this world, we're going to have these wounds. We're going to have this pain that's there within our hearts. And we have to begin to allow God to deal with it. You know, it's like an onion, and I, and I should have brought an onion this morning, but this, this is an onion, right? All of us have peeled an onion. You peel back one layer, and there's another layer. And then there's another, and another, and another. We have to allow God to take our heart, which is like an onion, and begin to peel it back. Some of us have done that to certain degrees. We've allowed God to peel back a layer. But then we've stopped. It's gotten too uncomfortable. It's gotten too much of a stretch. There's too many stretch marks. Others of us have not even allowed God to take our heart into His hand. We maybe put it over here and say, you can look at it, but certainly don't touch it. And God wants to begin to peel these layers back. Some of us have wounds from, from relationships, such as our mom and our dad. You know, the mom wound or the dad wound is, is much deeper than, than a lot of times we even want to give credit to. Or the lack of a mom or a lack of a dad being present in our lives. It, it, it creates something, and it's so comfortable in some ways just to go ahead and put up that wall, just to go ahead and build it and not even have to deal with it. I can suck it up and get through life kind of limping around and never allow God to deal with it fully, but it affects all of our relationships. And we have to say, God, begin to peel back this part of the onion. Some of us have dealt with depression or, or uh, anxiety or other things, and because there's, there's a stigma that culture sometimes places on that, or, or even mental illness at times, or the struggle of emotions, or emotional struggle, that, that we feel ashamed, that sometimes people don't even maybe put on us, but we, we put on ourselves. And we're not allowing God to fully come in. Or it could be addiction. It could be addiction to food, or, or to TV, or, or to a substance. And we've overcome, but yet there's still that struggle of daily walking it out, and it affects our relationships because we think everyone's looking at us. We just haven't opened up our hearts to it. We're limiting things. And I was thinking this week about this psalm and, you know, hypocrisy in the church. And we talk about being doers of the word. We talk about sometimes it's easier to point at certain churches or denominations and say, well, there's hypocrisy there. And, and we have to be careful how, how, we, how we point and how we do things. And I would say this. That if we're putting up these walls and we're not allowing God to continuously peel back the onion, we're not putting the word into our own hearts. We're not putting the word into action in our own heart. And in the same way, we're being hypocrites. We know the word and we're confessing the word, but we're not allowing God and the word of God, the big W, coming into our heart and, and, and transforming us. He wants to transform us. Look at the third observation that I want to make here is the conversation. 
There's a great debate going on. There's a dialogue. We, we don't look at it as a debate, but, but it really is a debate in some ways, a very cordial, respectful debate going on between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. You know, she says, as, as he's there at the well, she says, hey, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answers that. And then she says, hey, if you're going to get some water, you don't have a bucket and, and the well is deep. How, how do you expect to get water out? And then, you know, Jesus is talking to her about drinking the eternal water. And she, and she kind of changes the subject a little bit. And then, and then he, or she says, no, I want this. And, and he says, go call your husband. It's like, what? What's going on? And then she says, hey, you're a prophet. Let's talk about where to worship. And Jesus says, it's not, it doesn't matter where you worship. To me, these are excuses that she continues to offer not to allow Jesus really fully in. The shame and the walls that we build many times. The things that, that we haven't allowed God into the inner depths of our hearts. The pain that we haven't dealt with. It leads to learned behavior, and that learned behavior is creating a habit of giving excuses. And if you think about it, we're all guilty of this. We're all guilty of giving excuses. God, I would allow this if you would do this. Or God, it's just too uncomfortable. Or God, I'm busy. Or God, you just don't understand where I'm at. We, we play this all the time. And I love Jesus' response to her, her issue that she talks about with worship. She says, are we to worship here? Or are we supposed to worship in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, look, that's a minor thing. I'm not even going to answer that question. He says, well, let's talk about worship. Let's talk about what true worship is. True worship is worshiping in the Spirit. It doesn't matter if you're worshiping in Jerusalem or Samaritan or, or Samaria or somewhere else. It's about worshiping the nature and the character of God. You see, when we allow ourselves to come into the presence of God, it begins to burn and break down those walls. We got a glimpse of it this morning. Man, God is so good. I mean, worship, we got a, a little bit of that this morning. It begins to allow us to lay those things down. If we come into the presence of God with no agenda, if we come not just getting our 15 minutes in, if we come asking for conviction, asking God to, to have, or allowing Him to have access into all parts of our hearts, that's what true worship, that's what it means to worship in spirit and truth. We lay down our excuses and we begin to worship. I would say that we don't do this. We worship sometimes with our own limitations or we worship in certain ways that we want that make it comfortable. When's the last time you prayed that God would stretch you? I prayed it this week because I was preaching the Word, all right? But before that, it's been a long time since I prayed that prayer. When's the last time you asked God, God, make me uncomfortable? Get me up out of the boat and begin to break some of my mindsets and some of my heart sets. God, here's the key to the wall that I've put up. This wound that was created by a lack of, of this relationship or this wound that has been created by my, my habitual sin to something because I'm looking to that thing to fulfill instead of you. And it's just costs too much for me to go to you or it's too difficult for me to go to you or, or I just don't want to do what is required. When's the last time we said, Lord, stretch me? And we begin to truly worship God because I think when we truly worship, it's going to peel back that onion even more. It's going to knock down those walls even more. 
And that's what we see with the Samaritan woman as, as, as she goes forward. When she, when she came in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus answered, I am he, the one speaking to you. Verse 28, then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the men, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? You see, she had this debate with God. Excuses. of Not drinking the water, not this, not that, not that. And Jesus continued to gently press. And really, when she realized who Jesus was, she became very vulnerable. She let those walls down. And she allowed Jesus fully in. And it transformed her life. It transformed her in such a way that she went to the men in the town who were probably giving the most shame or heaping the most shame upon her, judging her the most, and said, you need to come and see Jesus. See, it allowed the way that she operated the relationships that she was surrounded with and her relationship with God, it changed because she allowed God to come into those inner places of her heart. And we've got to do the same. It's not easy. It's not something that we want to do. You know, counseling, a lot of times people don't like to go to counseling because it stirs up a lot of things. But, but as you come out of that, you realize, man, that was, that was good. That was tough. But it was good. Sometimes you don't, go want, to, you don't want to go to the gym just because you're lazy. But sometimes you don't want to go to the gym because you know you're going to get sore. You know it's easier just to sit on the couch and watch TV. And I think Jesus is calling and asking all of us as, as believers to truly come into His presence and say, Lord, here. Here's my heart. Yes, this I give to you. Never given this part to you before. And to peel back the onion, it's not an easy process. It's uncomfortable, and it is stretching. And I will tell you, I don't want to do it. But yet, I have to. We have to. We want the Word to transform us. We want the Word to conform us. But it doesn't happen by snapping our fingers. It happens by allowing the big W word, Jesus Christ, God, in and begin to work. But we also don't have to do it alone. There's a community we do it with as well. And that's the beauty of it. That we get to see the mess if we're committed to it. If we're committed to saying, hey, we are a spiritual family. Hey, we are going to hold up each other's arms. Hey, when you're struggling, I'm there. And when I don't fully understand what it is, I'm still there and I'm praying and I'm supporting. It allows then for all of us to to begin to open those things up more. Hey, I need someone to mentor me. Hey, I need someone to be a father figure. I need someone to be a mother figure. I need someone just to simply hold my hand. I need someone to get down on their knees and pray with me and pray me through this. But see, it's a choice that you and I have to make to say, okay, God, I give you permission right here to begin to work in the inner depths. Bring your wrecking crane and knock it down. I can talk about it. We can look at the Word, but it's, it's about you giving that permission to God. And that's my biggest challenge to us today is are we going to give permission? Really the reason that the last few weeks in the Word has, has been 
or in the presence of God has been so rich is because I've just kind of got naked before the Lord. Spiritually. Not physically. Spiritually and just said, God, this is where I'm at. God, this is hard. This is difficult. God, this is what I've believed. Is it really what your word says? God, this is where I was wounded. And this is, this is the way I've acted as a result of that wound. I thought I was healed. I thought I gave it to you. But that smoke screen, that facade was there. Will you do this? That's my challenge. That's my encouragement to allow God to begin. Lord, I pray this morning that we will have a full impact for your kingdom. But Lord, we know it requires giving you permission to peel back certain layers that are there in our hearts. Lord, our hearts have grown callous in places, have grown hard in places. Lord, I, I, I pray that you soften our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you give us, you strengthen us in such a way that we, we allow you to work in the inner depths of our heart. Lord, we all have these wounds. We all have these, these things that we've held on to. That we've put walls around never to come back. But Lord, I pray that every one of us will give permission to you to work mightily in those areas. Lord, help us to be vulnerable before you. Lord, bring healing to our hearts. Lord, I pray for those who have been hurt by relationships, whether it was within a family or whether it was outside the family. Lord, help us not to be, as James talks about, in terms of letting bitterness come in and it taking root, continue to tie us down, entangle us, and leading to sin and death and so forth. I pray for healing over these situations. Lord, those who've been hurt by the effects of sin, their own sin or even the sin of others. Those who said, nope, just not going to deal with it. Just going to suck it up and be strong. Lord, I pray that we will humble ourselves. Because if we don't, I know, Lord, that you will. May your healing power come to our hearts. May the healing balm come to our hearts and heal those wounds fully and completely. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you to, to, to go before the Lord. And, you know, as always, there's resources. If you need to talk more, I'm available. If you, if you need to go to a counselor, and you don't have the means, we'll find a way. If you don't know where to start in, 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 in all this, come and talk and, and I'll help you get on the right path. Our prayer ministers, if you'll come forward this morning, they're here to pray with you. We are dismissed.